You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of our Sermon Series Podcast. Due to some technological issues, we were unable to capture the beginning of the message. But don't worry, the bulk of the content of the message is still intact. Thanks again for listening. And know His will and approve of what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. All right, so the, the Jews boasting continue. They know God's will. They know what he has called excellent, and they give approval of it. So if you remember back in uh, chapter 1, one of the big accusations against the Gentiles is they knew what was evil, and they gave approval to it. So the Jews would be on the other side of that. They knew what was excellent, and they gave approval to it. That's a good thing. The reason they can do this is because they are instructed from the sacred scriptures. God trusted it to them, and they were able to read it. Verse 19, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. So so not only are you instructed by the law, but you are a teacher of the law. You guide the blind. Blind being here are the people who don't have access to the law. They don't don't know what the law says to them. We've heard from the scripture, the law is written on all mankind's heart, but they don't have the words written by the prophets. But the Jews do. So they're not only instructed by them, but they are able to be instructors of them. And he says, you are a light of those who are in darkness. Verse 20, you are an instructor to the foolish a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of truth. You teach everyone. You teach the foolish, that's the adults who who don't know the truth. Don't don't think fool in the sense of like a derogatory term, just in the sense of they they don't know. They've they've never been taught. So you are able to teach them. Children, they've not been old enough to, to know these scriptures yet, but you have the ability, you have the word to Give them the knowledge of God in their life. This is what has been trusted to you. You even have the ability to understand the heart of the law. Guys, this is huge, okay? The Jews had the ability not only to have the law, to teach the law, and to guide people with the law, but they could understand the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. Now, this is a boast, but soon to be an indictment. Because what they're hearing is, We know the law. Paul says we know the law. We have been blessed by God. We are chosen by God. And we should know these things. What is the embodiment and the truth of the law? What is the law pointing to ever since its inception? To the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, what he's saying is you have access to this. But soon what you are going to hear is, but you miss it. You're a person of the book. You're a person of the mark of the sign of the covenant. And you've missed it. But you teach. You read. You understand. You even have God's blessing as God's chosen people. But that is not being helpful to you at this moment. These are incredible boasts. And as we read this list, we can almost sense the Jews nodding and superior approval. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Keep talking. All of that being true, 
Paul gives them some very important questions to consider about their life. Now, um, because of the nature of how we study the Bible uh, and this idea of being a, a proper hermeneutic, and I want to be clear on this, our, our usual line of reasoning when it comes to the scriptures, we immediately want to apply it to our life. I would say just pause for a moment. Don't, don't jump immediately to that because I think we'll miss the weight of what's going on for these Jewish readers and that's going to set up the good news in a minute. There will be application for us and it's almost, I would say, a direct correlation one-to-one -one for us today as we understand ourselves to be religious people, people who have been trusted with the word of God, people who have shown our sign of covenant in this idea of baptism. But don't jump immediately to that application just, just yet. Verse 21. Here's the question. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Alright, now this, this would be all the air being let out of the room, okay? Because he's using two words. He uses the word teach and use the word preach. Teach is this idea that you are bringing somebody along in knowledge. Preaching is this idea of exhortation. I am commanding you, do not do this. God says, do, for thus says the Lord, do not steal. It's one of the big ten. And so what he says to them in the first question out of the gate is, so you then who are teachers, you teach others. Are you not teaching yourself? You preach against, don't steal. And are you stealing? You pride yourself in teaching others, fools and children. Why not take pride in teaching yourselves? Paul then gives a few for instances. He helps them feel the weight of this moment. You preach against stealing and yet you steal. And he gives another example in verse 22. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So, so three, for instances, in this idea of you are a teacher to others, but you're not learning yourself. So, so he jumps in, just to, to be clear, don't steal, but you steal. Don't commit adultery is what you preach, but you commit adultery. You say, don't love idols, yet you are robbing from temples. All right. No doubt, Paul is speaking to the heart here. Much like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember that? When Jesus kind of levies these big accusations against all those who are listening, and he would say, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And more than likely, people in that crowd would have said, yes, amen. And he would say, I would tell you, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, then you have committed adultery with her in your heart. More than likely, they would have said, oh, me. You've heard it said, don't, don't commit murder. But I tell you that if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. So Jesus is speaking to the heart in the Sermon on the Mount in the same way that the Apostle Paul is speaking to the heart in this matter as well. Because what you have is really religious and listen, really pristine on the outside religious people. Jesus went as far to say about the Pharisees, kind of the ones who would be leading this Jewish group prior to their conversion, that they were like whitewashed tombs. 
that on the outside they were immaculate, they were perfect, but on the inside they were filled with dead men's bones. And so Jesus teaches them that the heart is what matters. Paul comes back and reiterates that in this teaching, that the heart is what matters. So for the Jew who's looking over at their Gentile brother and sister as they worship and say, well, at least I'm not like him. At least I don't sin like her. Paul doesn't just come with the general broad brush stroke, which we heard last week. He's now coming very specifically with three accusations that are pretty big for the Jewish believer. Don't steal. It would never be in their mind to steal physically. It would never be in their daily life to commit adultery. But in their heart might be a different story. No way would they touch another idol. You will have no other gods before me. That's kind of like the big one. But in their hearts, are they loving other things? This was a big deal for them because Paul is setting them up to understand that the Jew needs Christ just as much as the Gentile. Let me me say it differently. The religious person needs Christ just as much as the non-religious person. And when we understand that, church begins to look a little different. We don't walk in saying, well, you over there and us over here. It's us together. It's us understanding that if it weren't for Christ's work in our life, we would be absolutely lost. They may not be physically stealing, but they're operating out of an entitled posture in life. I'm God's chosen. This is God's. This belongs to him, therefore it belongs to me. They may not be physically committing adultery, but their mind is going places that it has no business going with people that it has no business going. Jesus says that these sinful actions are equal sin in the eyes of God. Those questions, those accusations are tough, but what Paul says next is even harsher. Look at verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. All right, so just, just for a moment, just for, I, need to, I need to set the scene. You probably know this. This is probably your heart's cry as well. But for the Jew, this was a really big deal. Their identity was set in being the people of God. That's different than their identity is set in being God's. One of those is possessive by God. One of those is associated with God. So for them, their identity had become skewed. They loved the idea that they bore his name, but they lived like they didn't. And so in this moment, this would be the ultimate blow, as if stealing wouldn't have been bad enough, or adultery, or being an idol worshiper weren't bad enough. This would be the ultimate blow to their ego. This would hopefully end all boasting in them in this moment. You who boast in the law, and they did, and that was good, and it was right because they were God's chosen. You dishonor God. Oh no, why in the world would they dishonor God? What dishonors God? What's it say? What, what is the cause that brings dishonor upon God? It's the breaking of what? The law. That's a big deal. 
Let that sink in as you understand what's going on here. Verse 24, he quotes Old Testament, really two places, one in Ezekiel, one in Isaiah, brings it together and makes this sentence. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Another way to hear that is there are people that God wants to redeem that are blaspheming the God who loves them because the way in which you live your life This is heavy stuff for the Jew. All right, now that we understand that weight a little bit, let's begin to apply what we are hearing to our own life. Let's think through what is going on. Because again, I don't believe that Paul is speaking to every Jew in the same way that he wasn't speaking to every Gentile because some of them were born again. Some of them were walking in holiness by the Spirit's power. But the point is this, apart from God's redemptive work through Christ, This is all of us, religious and non-religious. And so as we look to this, what he is saying to them, in your religion, the cold religion, not the good, the religion that's based on a prideful heart, not a broken and repentant heart, trusting in Christ. That cold, dead, broken religion is causing the people that God wants to come know and love him to blaspheme his name. And it's pointed directly at them saying it's because of how you live. This is tough. The thing they never, the Jews never wanted to do was dishonor God. But Paul tells them, as they boast in the law, the more they boast in the law, they're dishonoring God because they don't keep the law they boast in. The fallout of this was so bad. Gentiles are blaspheming the name of God because of their hypocrisy. It's probably at this moment that the Jewish reader would have been feeling many of the grief emotions. Shock, denial, anger, maybe even bargaining. You ever been starting to get cornered in a conversation or or in a passionate discussion, as we call it in our house, and then you start to say, oh no, I'm losing ground here, so let let me take another tactic and go this way. So more than likely they realize, oh no, the law isn't helping me, so what else do I have that is gonna be beneficial in this conversation? But Paul, what about my sign of covenant? Paul brings it up. More than likely, they would say, I have a scar on my body that proves we are his. Don't don't tell me that, that we aren't belonging to him because of the way in which we are living. He chose us. Paul's response is tough. Look at verse 25. For circumcision is indeed a value if, if, listen, if you obey the law. If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So Paul gives a new equation. If if you are circumcised, if you have the sign of covenant and you break the law, it's as if you never had the sign of covenant at all. But if you don't have the sign of covenant, If you're not circumcised, but you keep the law because God has pressed it in on your heart or somebody has taught you the law, but you keep it because you love God, that is a sign that you belong to God. So in this, just so we're clear on what this is, no doubt you're going to have some fun conversations with your kids later today. Circumcision, the sign of the covenant, is the physical sign that you belong to the family of God. 
The sign of covenant should be a reminder of accountability as much as a badge of honor. Let me say it a different way. In our context, we love the idea of baptism. Matter of fact, when people get baptized, we gave two of these out today. This is a really big one, and this says, Gloria Frazier, congratulations, Gloria, we're going to baptize you again. But for many people, they will grow their whole life and look back 20, 30, 40, 50 years after baptism and look at something like this and say, well, I know I'm a Christian because preacher gave me one of these. Guys, this took us three seconds and a lamination moment to hand this to you. This does not prove that you are in the family of God. Being in that water is a really important, and I believe a sacred moment, but that water does not save you. It should be, listen, should be a testimony of the inward change that happened to you. Here's why I believe it should be accountability as much as a badge of honor. I believe that you should be happy about your baptism day. I believe that you should celebrate it when we give these to you. I pray that you put it in a safe place to remind you of the sweet day. But I also pray that it is accountability for you. To know that you stood before a church body and you said to them, I trust in Christ. I'm not going to be perfect, but I know he's perfect. I know I'm going to mess up, but I know he's going to be there for me. So I give my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to him. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Where their sign of the covenant was, was circumcision, our sign that we belong into the family of God, the physical sign, what the public sees is baptism. Baptism does not save you. You may sit here this morning and say, well, Josh, I'm a person of the book. I got the book. I memorized the book. I go to Bible studies. I have this in my heart. Right. Do you live by this book? Because you can know it and have it memorized all you want. But if you don't live by this book, it is of no value to you. Matter of fact, it will be an accurse to you because it will begin to judge you. This is what God's word says. Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised, the Gentile. Now this would, this would be a big statement for the Jew, okay? We, we may not feel the weight of this. I'll try to explain it in just a moment. Then he who is physically uncircumcised, that would be the Gentile, but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but you still break the law. So for the Jew, you're going to have what is perceived to be an outsider come in and cast judgment on you, and it's going to be right. Why? Because you did not follow what the Scriptures have taught. So then, no doubt, these Jews would have been thinking in their mind, maybe even publicly, maybe even argumentatively. Well, if I'm not a Jew because I have covenant. If I'm not a Jew because I have the law, because I'm not chosen, because I'm not keeping it, what makes me a Jew? What makes me a child of God? I'm glad he asked that question, and I'm glad we asked that question for us. Look at verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. 
So as our worship team comes back out and we move into an invitation time, please don't move from this moment. This is the most important things I'm gonna tell you today. I just want them to be ready. Today's text is probably one of the clearest statements in all of this great letter. The law does you no good if you do not obey it. Let me say it a different way for us. The Bible does you no good unless you obey it. Baptism is of no value to you unless your heart is surrendered to Jesus Christ. When we stand before the Father in the great judgment and we give an account for our life, he will not say how many Bibles did you have and how much did you memorize it. He will not say what day did you say a prayer? What day did you get baptized? How did you live according to this word? How was that actually proven by the way in which you live your life every moment since that day? Back to verse 29. What makes a Jew? A Jew is inward, not outward. A Jew is circumcised in heart, not the body. A Jew is changed by the spirit, not the letter of the law. So, so for many of them, they would say, well, I have the law, so that makes me a Jew. Well, Paul is saying, no, no, it's got to be the Spirit of God using the Word to cut away your heart. A Jew desires the praise of God and not of man. That was a big deal for the Jew because they really loved their religion and they wanted people to see them. So let's hear it a little bit differently. I pray this is really helpful for us. Don't, don't miss this. This is where I want us to listen. So what is a Christian? Maybe you're here today and you think, oh boy, I do not know after today's sermon. What makes a Christian? A Christian is made from the inside and not the outside. God makes you a Christian, not you and not someone else. This is what I mean by that. You don't try hard enough and eventually make it. Somebody can't pray you into Christianity. Somebody can't do something or pay enough for you to become a Christian. It is a work that God does on the inside. A Christian is circumcised in heart and not the body. Baptism is the outward sign that we belong to God. In the same way that this certificate does not prove our salvation, God changes our heart and that's what proves that we have been changed. A Christian is changed by the Spirit and not just the letter. The Holy Spirit will guide you and challenge you and change you, not behavior modification stemming from guilt and shame. A Christian desires the praise of God and not of man. Our desire to please God should supersede everything else in our life. The worst thing we could ever do is glorify the outward expression and miss the inward change. Church, our religion does us no good if it is not from an overflow of a changed heart. Hear me, I don't think religion is bad. Matter of fact, James says it this way, Religion that is pure and undefiled is this, taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. 
Well, Josh, that's only two things. No, to be clear, what he is saying is that they're twofold. One, you should take care of orphans and widows. But secondly, it's, it's an action that's done never expecting anything in return. Orphan can't give you anything in return. A widow can't give you anything in return. Pure religion is good. Cold, dead religion, false religion is awful. Well, Josh, what do we do? Thanks for the encouragement today. This may sound simple, what I'm about to tell you, but I believe it's absolutely radical. Instead of your actions being the first thing that you surrender to Christ, surrender your heart first. I'll say that one more time, and I pray it sinks in. Instead of your actions being the first thing that you surrender to Christ, for him to fix, for him to change, for him to mold, surrender your heart instead. Because remember, your actions are just symptoms of the broken heart. Too many times we come to the Lord because of guilt and shame, because of what we've done. And we say, Lord, fix what I've done. I keep going to this sin. Take that away. I believe the Lord honors that. But it's your heart that's causing all the sinful actions. So go with your heart first to Him. All that you are, just as you are, surrender your life to Christ today. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the conviction that has come for me. Lord, I know um, I am thankful that I can say with confidence that I belong to you. And it's not by anything that I have done. And that's why you get all glory and honor and praise because it's only by what you have done. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for changing my heart, but I also thank you for being with us as we continue to be molded even more into your image every day. Thank you for justification in the moment. Thank you for sanctification over a lifetime. And so, Lord, today I pray that as we continue to journey through this great letter, that maybe for the religious across this room, this has caught our attention. that maybe for some of us in this room that we are really religious, but we are dead in our religion. And God, we need to repent of that, not just our actions, but surrender our heart to you today. But Lord, maybe for the vast majority of us in this room that we do love you, we have been changed by you, that hearing this message should bring to it a weight of worship, knowing that the only reason we are where we are today is because of your goodness and kindness in our life now. So in this response time, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, move across this room. Save those that need saving. Encourage those that need encouraging. Move us, Father, to bring you all glory, all honor, and all praise. Set our eyes on you and never let them move. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?